0: whilst filming, it felt like our lives were almost paralleling each other.
1: This is Freya Allen, who you know as Cirilla, the lion cub of Sintra. In the first season of The Witcher, Siri goes through a ton of life changes, which Freya could relate to, because she was cast in the series right as she graduated from high school.
0: I'd just been at school, and then suddenly I was going into this very adult world and, you know, having a huge responsibility, um, and I feel like whilst filming, I could use that my real life and transfer it into the role because it was almost like we were going through the same thing
1: except you know unlike Siri, Freya lives here on earth
0: she's in a very different world to what I'm in yes.
1: um,
0: and she's she's having to tackle with things that don't actually exist
1: monsters of course and magic but also plenty of very real things that do exist like the trauma of losing family members Ciri experiences that during the slaughter of Sentra.
0: The trauma she goes through, I can't say I've, I've experienced. I think that was something I really had to think about because I've never gone through something like that myself.
1: Welcome to the third and final episode of Behind the Scenes of The Witcher. I'm your host, Brandon Jenkins. Today we're following Princess Ciri taking a look at how her character was shaped in the writer's room how Freya brought her to life, what Ciri means to the continent, and of course, how it all ties to destiny. This is Behind the Scenes of The Witcher, Episode 3, Cirilla, The Lion Cub of Centra.
2: With Ciri, we had to cast a 16-year-old girl who had lost her parents and was living with her grandmother and then lost her grandmother in brutal circumstances.
1: This right here is The Witcher's casting director, Sophie Holland.
2: Imagine trying to find a 16-year-old girl that can portray that with real feeling and really take you on that journey with her.
1: One of the first big shifts that the writers made when adapting Siri from Andrzej Sapkowski's books was to make her older, but just by a few years. But that presented a challenge for Sophie. She had to find a teenager who could capture both that innocence and depth, which she saw in Freya Allen.
2: I just remember she was wearing these, like, these blue kind of bell button jeans, you know what I'm talking about, and this, like, T-shirt, and she looked so small and so f- vulnerable, and we asked her to do this scene where she was saying goodbye to her grandma who's just about to die, and it was so moving but so small and natural that it just broke our hearts, and I was like, yeah, that's the girl I want to follow.
1: For Lauren Hisrick, the Witcher's writer, showrunner, and executive producer, Siri was much more than just a young princess.
3: Siri functions as the eyes, the lens, I guess, through which we see the continent. Because she walks through at the beginning from a very naive and innocent place. But through her, we actually get to see just how brutal the continent is. What
1: Lauren's getting at is just how important Ciri is for the show's world building, which is a sizable task.
3: You can't introduce an audience to a super complex world with, you know, 15 different kingdoms and each of them have their own agendas. You can't do that all in episode one. You would lose people really fast.
1: So instead of a survey of the entire continent, the writers decided to start a bit smaller with Geralt and Blavikin and Ciri and Sentra. We learn all about Sentra through Ciri because the kingdom's history, their battles, victories and defeats, they're her family's history, too.
3: She needs to understand the way of things. We will not fall because we are not under attack.
2: She's a
0: child. You won your first battle in Hotchbuzz when you were my age. I've heard the ballad.
3: Pretty ballads, honey. Past the truths.
1: In this scene, Ciri is talking with her step-grandfather, King Eist, and her grandmother, Queen Calanthe, a warrior queen who reigns over the important political region.
3: Centra is the jewel of the continent, and so when we were designing it, it was based on a palace called Carcassonne in France, which is basically a walled palace within city walls, highly fortified, modern for its time.
1: And in the heart of the palace, where King Eist and Queen Calanthi sit on their throne, is the Great Hall of Centra.
3: I guess it was one of those moments where, as a writer, you type, interior, Centra, Great Hall. And, you know, you say it's, you know, the most beautiful ballroom in the world, and then you keep typing— and someone created the most beautiful ballroom in the world.
1: That someone is none other than production designer Andrew Laws.
4: When we started with the Great Hall of Sintra and just Sintra in general, the idea was to create an Elysium, basically the paradise. And that was really about looking at Sintra through the innocence of Siri's upbringing and her perception. Not a childlike perception, but just simply her perception of her childhood and what Sintra has been to her, because that's really how we introduce it. We start very much on the ground with Siri. Remember, she was literally on the ground playing knucklebones, or what you might know as
1: Jax. And then we see her cracking jokes about the game with King Iced while Queen Calanthe is leading a knighting ceremony. At least you didn't shit your cacks.
0: As members of the royal family, is it too much to ask that you exercise a modicum of respect?
1: And through Siri's young, innocent eyes, the hall looks
4: regal and grand. The central great hall was was essentially designed like a throne room would be designed to create a sense of awe and grandeur, so that anyone arriving from another kingdom um, would feel small in the environment compared to the royalty they were approaching.
3: There are times where I would walk onto sets or walk onto to locations that were chosen or see costumes that I would actually get tears in my eyes. And the Great Hall of Sintra was one of those. Wow. It was so big, bigger than I could have imagined. We joked about having witcher-themed weddings in it. So beautiful, no detail left behind.
4: The doors were, uh, you know, 20 feet high. It was actually quite a feat of engineering to get those doors hung. And the idea being that anybody that walks through those doors is going to is gonna feel small. While buildings help to establish this massive environment,
1: what really makes a kingdom is the people. Take a look at Siri and the city's inhabitants. Their hair, their clothes, all of it is quintessentially centrant.
2: In this world of the castle people, for example, who are upper class but not royalty.
1: This is Chilla Blake Horvath. Head of the Witcher's Hair and Makeup Department.
2: They have beautiful hair. They do wear hair accessories, but not as, um, I wouldn't say flashy, but um, more gold stones in it, which gives you the idea of how rich they are. And then the village people are village people. The costumes, the hair is more simple. And they don't wear really hair accessories apart from, like, piece of fabric they put in their braids and stuff. Obviously, royalty is royalty, so you can go as far as you want.
1: Despite Siri's status as royalty, Chilla wanted to avoid drowning her in jewelry and ornate decorations. Centra's aesthetic is much more medieval and gothic.
2: I did some research for a younger person in that period, like this medieval period, how... A princess would wear her hair in certain situations.
1: Like Siri's updo hairstyle in the first episode, it's beautiful, intricate, but not over the top. Chilla says Siri's look was pretty simple.
2: The most significant thing we had to do it was the hair color. She was blonde anyways, but we had to, it was a more golden hair color uh, rather than the ashen hair. So we colored her hair four times, I think, before we we got to the final color.
0: Yeah, it was a weird look as well because I had like bleached eyebrows.
1: This is actor Freya Allen again.
0: And it was bizarre. I spent basically seven months looking a bit like a kind of alien elf creature going out in the streets. I think people were a bit like... Yeah, that's an interesting look.
1: (laughs) One of the more complicated elements of Siri's look is her bewitching green eyes, almost as iconic as Geralt's yellow ones. In real life, Freya's got a set of striking blue eyes, so Chilla took a great deal of care, finding her just the right color contacts to wear.
2: We had to do, like, um, I don't know, three, four versions of green. We saw her mom in a flashback sequence. Her eye color was much brighter green,
1: and series father Dooney, he's got brown eyes, so Chilla wanted series eye color to be some compromise of that combination.
2: Series eye color, we wanted to be like a softer green. Like if you look at her, it's still something you know you you just stay on and stare for a while. That oh, that's an interesting eye color, but not as obvious as the, the mom's eye color was.
1: The truth about series birth parents isn't revealed until the fourth episode. But these greenish brown eyes, they're a subtle clue that there's more to Ciri than we initially know. And she doesn't stay an innocent, pretty little princess for very long. In many ways, Ciri anchors the season. In The Witcher's non-linear storytelling, her timeline serves as the present. Her perspective helps us learn about the continent, the whole world of The Witcher. And for Freya, Ciri's understanding is constantly changing.
0: I think she definitely recognises that she is clearly more privileged than a lot of people who live in Sintra. And she's she's bright, she's intelligent, she can see that. And but I think for her she thinks that when she goes out and plays with the boys and she's playing knucklebone, she thinks, yeah, this is the real world and then I go back to being a princess. And so those are the two worlds to her, but actually she doesn't realise that there's a far more brutal and horrific world beyond the walls of Sintra.
1: In the very first episode, we see the slaughter of Sintra. The soldiers of Nilfgaard come charging in in a storm of murder and destruction, eventually taking over the castle, and murdering Siri's grandmother and step-grandfather in the process. Ciri sees her family for the last time, and then has to flee the only home she's ever known, a home where she was loved and protected. As all of this is happening, she's sent on a quest.
3: I do think that there's an element of her being innocent and wide-eyed at the beginning, but I do believe that's stripped from her really quickly.
1: Lauren says, sure, Siri's story leans on a lot of familiar fantasy tropes. She's a wide-eyed, innocent person being sent on a quest. But Lauren and the writers wanted to subvert those tropes as well, the way Andre Sapkowski did in his stories. Take Siri's banshee-like screaming. A young person with a great untapped power That's classic fantasy right there. That's like Luke Skywalker. But here in The Witcher, it feels much, much darker. Which stuck out to Freya.
0: In episode 7, she goes out of control and she wakes up and she has very brutally killed the horse and her old friends. And I think, I mean, imagine killing people without meaning to.
1: How does Siri feel about these inherited powers? Because one, it doesn't seem like she knows where they come from, or even that she has them. Two, they are paired with these sort of um, traumatic experiences, right? So, like, is Siri confused about these things? Is it frightening?
0: Yeah, I think it's far more a traumatic thing than, oh, it's cool, look at me, I've got powers. Like, I don't (laughs) think that's running through her head. I think it's partly paired with the fact that, She's overwhelmed because there's so much she doesn't know about. Her grandmother has just said, oh, you know, find Geralt of Rivia. Who the hell is Geralt of Rivia? She's never heard of him. So in that moment, I think she's kind of like, has anyone told me about this? Has my whole life been a lie?
1: It's the kind of moment that makes you want to scream.
0: You are destined I can't do this without you.
1: We must go your heights. (laughs) No!
0: What I love about when they come out is when she's in kind of most need of them. You know, that is the time when she really needs something else. She's lost everybody. She's lost her, you know, grandmother. She's lost Mausack, who's like her babysitter. <laughs> she's lost, um, you know, her knight, who's like her older brother. She's lost every guardian, everyone who was looking out for her, everyone who was closest to her. They are gone. And so now she has to find this kind of strength within her, and it comes out as this huge power that she didn't know she has. So it's almost like that's there to sort of protect her when no one else is there anymore.
1: And with her newfound ability, Siri is officially a girl on the run, another classic fantasy move.
3: So we did tap into that trope, which is the young woman with a lot of power, but who doesn't quite know her place yet. But I actually think we complicated that trope a lot because what we're doing there is breaking down her preconceptions of what this world is and we're having her learn a lot and... You know, if, if you ask Freya Allen, who portrays Siri, she will tell you that she spent a lot of the season running through woods from other things. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, is, she is officially a girl on the run. But toward the end, she's running toward something, not away from something else, which is also a, a good shift for her.
1: With Siri now living as a fugitive, Freya Allen's no longer wearing beautiful dresses meant for a princess. No. She's got to wear something much more discreet and low-key. As Nilfgaard is taking over Sentra, Queen Calanthe... Make sure Siri had just the thing.
0: Laszlo, bring her cloak.
1: That blue cloak with the draping hood.
0: I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, it's beautiful and it is beautiful. But I mean, when you see it after the fifth month of wearing it, six months, seven months, you're like, I just can't wait to get rid of that. (laughs) (laughs) It got, I guess, more and more tatty and muddy as filming went along.
1: Besides that huge hood she can pull over her head, Siri also tries to conceal her identity by putting a bunch of mud in her traditionally pristine, ashen blonde hair.
0: Like my, my hair, because it had been um, bleached, but they had to kind of keep re dyeing it because they put so much mud in it that it would change the color of it. That's how much mud they were putting in. It was makeup.
1: Hair and makeup artist Chilla Blake Horvath again.
2: It's a powder which we mixed with uh, water. But it has pigments in it. So if she puts it on, then, you know, it, her hair can catch the brown or red or whatever pigment it had in this mud. So we had to try on, on real hair pieces how that mud will affect the, her hair colour.
0: Like I would come in in the morning and all it was was like,
2: let's put purple
0: under your eyes and make it look like you haven't slept for weeks. Let's just make you look awful. Cover your hair in mud.
1: At this point, on her exhausting quest, Ciri knows she's got to find Geralt of Rivia and that she's being hunted by some Nilfgaard guy in a feathered black helmet. But she doesn't know who either of them are or why any of this is happening or where her powers are coming from or why she even has them. And then, in episode four, we find out.
3: I love origin stories. And specifically for Ciri, they were very important to me.
1: Lauren and the writers develop Siri's origin story from Andrzej Sapkowski's short story, A Question of Price. This story takes place before Siri was born. In the show, we travel back in time to see Siri's grandmother, Queen Calanthe, throwing a big party to determine who will be a worthy suitor to marry her daughter, Pavetta, Siri's eventual mother.
3: There are key moments in our lives that make us who we are, and those are the key moments that I want to see for our characters.
1: For Siri, that key moment comes down to four words. The law of surprise.
3: (laughs) Don't make me explain the law of surprise.
1: Sorry, Lauren. We gotta do it. In the world of The Witcher, the law of surprise is an ancient vow that is taken very, very seriously.
3: If you... If you save someone's life, that person is then indebted to you. If they do not have the money to pay you at the time, they can offer you something called the law of surprise instead. And basically, the law of surprise means that you will get the first thing that they find at their homes that they didn't know existed. So it's got a lot of parameters in it. So let's say two people meet. One of them saves the other's life. The one whose life was saved is indebted, goes home, and finds that in his absence, um, a new calf has been born to their cow Or suddenly there's a new crop of grain that they weren't expecting. Then all of that grain is going to be packaged up and given to that other person. Or the calf will be given to the person who saved their lives.
1: It's basically one huge gamble. You could end up with a puppy or a great big bag of gold. Or you could end up with something a little more, uh, Unexpected.
3: What we see happen most often and when the law of surprise uh, really becomes interesting is when a character goes home and finds that they have a child that they didn't know they had. In this case, that their, their wife is pregnant and, and gives birth shortly after they get home.
1: Siri's destiny is determined by three claims of the law of surprise. The first comes from her father, Dooney. He's that cursed knight with the face of a porcupine. Dooney says that when he saved the life of Pavetta's father, he was thanked with the gift of the law of surprise. So now, all these years later, Dooney's like, listen, I have the right to marry Queen Calanthe's daughter, Pavetta.
4: I come to claim what is rightfully mine, Pavetta, by the law of surprise.
1: The second claim comes from Geralt after a full on brawl. A brawl which starts because Queen Calanthe is feeling the reality of her daughter marrying a human porcupine.
3: Calanthe orders her guards to kill him. And orders Geralt to help kill him. And Geralt can see that Dooney is actually cursed. He's not a monster, and thus he refuses to kill him. And Geralt jumps into the fray and uh, ends up protecting Dooney.
1: Classic Geralt. And then, after Pavetta declares her love for Dooney, Queen Calanthe herself
3: tries to assassinate him. And what this causes is Pavetta to scream. And at first, she just sounds like a woman who is watching the love of her life about to die. But her scream actually propels an energetic force through the central Great Hall and begins a cyclone. It's a, re- it's a really incredible sequence. I was there for the filming of that, and it was, it was quite something.
2: Oh, my God. So that was amazing. So that, that was tricky. So that whole sequence was much more sort of action and fun and very
1: fantastical. Alex Garcia Lopez directed episodes three and four. As he mentioned in our last episode, he likes to shoot wet, with lots of sweat and real elements. He didn't want visual effects to just come in and CGI the entire thing. He wanted to create a real cyclone on his set. So in order to do that, they got some fans. These huge fans, there were about five, six
4: industrial fans, petrol fans. And again, what I wanted to do was to was bring an element of of physicality to it.
3: It was crazy. We shot with real and practical dust.
1: Practical dust. It's a kind of prop dust that was blowing around the room that the actors could react to in real time. We had about
4: maybe eight, nine people from the art department all throw in uh, debris, obviously plastic for health and safety issues, but, you know, throw in chairs, helmets, knives, chicken wings, beer, bottles, you name it. They were just basically throwing all sorts of crap between the camera and the actors.
1: And it's not just the episode's main actors. Remember, this is all going down in a huge party that escalated into a big fight, which means this seen as lots of background actors that were on set, too.
2: I think it was like 200 background and like 50 or 60 stunts.
1: This is Chilla again. She had at least 25 makeup and hair people on set all for this one scene. They have to get all the ladies' updos right for the party, which takes a long time. And then they've also got to work on all these stunt guys who need to be fighting.
2: From 60 stunts, 40 of them had modern haircuts because they're not doing only Witcher. They're going to another show and then another show. So uh, probably 50 of them was wearing wigs.
1: Which then have to look like they've been through a cyclone halfway through the scene.
2: Ooh, that was probably the hardest part, time-wise, work-wise.
1: For Alex, all of this was worth it. It's a key moment in the series that he wanted to make sure felt real and gritty. But I
4: really wanted the actors to feel the, the cyclone,
1: uh, and they had a great time. They had a, you know, a lot of fun with it. Eventually, after the cyclone dissipates, cooler heads prevail, and Calanthe grants permission for Pavetta to wed Dooney. Destiny has struck once again. Dooney absolutely insists on repaying Geralt for protecting him during the melee.
3: Geralt, kind of in a flippant way, says...
1: I claim the tradition as you have. The lore of surprise. Give me that
4: which you already have, but do not know.
3: Because I don't believe in destiny anyway. And in this moment, Pavetta begins vomiting, and we realize that Pavetta is pregnant with Ciri.
0: Fuck. And this is how Ciri... Ciri becomes tied to Geralt. So for Ciri, she is technically destined for Geralt, but there are a lot of choices she makes that allow that to come to fruition.
1: Now to be clear, Geralt is Ciri's destiny, not her fate. It's only because she decides to fight for her own survival, tap into her deepest self and channel her powers, that she reaches Geralt. It was this, Ciri's determination, her choices that Freya really connected with while portraying this character.
0: We hold a lot of value um, for our voice, and we both feel that it's really important to utilize that, and, and and I feel like she very much sees it as it's a power she has. She, she feels power in her voice and choice, and I'm very much the same. I think um, that is something that belongs to me that I can decide and I can choose where my life is going to go and she she throughout this season has a lot of people constantly telling her what she should and shouldn't do what she's going to become you know what her limitations are Um, but ultimately she becomes the dictator of her own future because she values that. What I love about her character
3: uh, probably more than anything is her strength and I don't mean about Picking up swords and and hurting people, what I mean is her ability to pick herself up and keep walking and persevering and knowing that she has to survive. That if she if she wants to live, she has to keep going.
1: Siri and Geralt are brought together by a third instance of the law of surprise. In the season finale, Siri realizes she used her powers and killed her friends who were attacking her. She's eventually taken in by a woman, the wife of a merchant. Geralt saves a merchant from a bunch of ghouls. This is, of course, the same merchant. He offers Geralt the law of surprise without knowing that his wife just took in a girl. Finally, Ciri and Geralt meet in the woods. People linked by destiny will always find each other. It was the only scene that Freya and Henry Cavill, who played Geralt, had together.
0: It was really nice getting to actually work with Henry because everyone had been asking me, oh, so what's it like working with Henry? I was like, "I haven't, I haven't worked with him at all.
1: The scene is just 2 minutes long, but the cast and crew knew they needed it to be perfect.
0: We shot it over 3 days because for some reason they kept scheduling it at the wrong time. They kept scheduling <laughs> it like in the evening and it was and it would get dark and they'd be like oh, it was too dark. It happened once, and then the next day, happened again. I was like, have they not learned that at this time it gets dark? (laughs) So at the time, I was kind of like, this is a little bit irritating now because we've kind of shot this twice and still haven't got it or whatever.
1: The silver lining to all this is that it allowed Henry and Freya to rehearse the scene. In television and film, taking the time to block out a scene and run through it really isn't the norm anymore. So being able to sneak in some rehearsal time was a nice bonus, but that also meant that Freya was running a lot like several takes every day for three days.
0: So, you know, Henry's like, you know, amazing at the gym and everything, and and I am not. I don't exercise <laughs> very much. Actually, I probably did most of my exercise on the show because I did so much running. Um, but yeah, so I had to do this like sort of running, running towards him, and because we, we, obviously did quite a lot of takes. I was kind of like, Whew. I'd get to him and be like, oh my God. And I'd be like, oh God, this is kind of embarrassing because he's so like, he goes to the gym and there's me who's run like a few meters in my off of breath. I was like, I'm going to need to up my game for season two.
1: With season two officially announced and in the works, there's certainly going to be more running for Siri. Siri and Geralt's timelines have conversion to one. So just a matter of time before Yennefer Vangerberg joins them.
0: Who is Yennefer?
1: And now, we've run as far as we're gonna go. We have reached the conclusion of behind the scenes of The Witcher. We want to thank you for kicking it with us this season, and we really hope you've enjoyed our trip through the portal and into the fantasy world of the continent, learning more about Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri, and spending time with the amazing creators and crew that adapted and brought The Witcher to your screens. Behind the Scenes of The Witcher was produced by Netflix and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Max Linsky, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Ray Vada. Our senior producer is Barry Finkel, and our associate producer is Melissa Slaughter. Editing by Jonathan Minhevar. Hannes Brown is our engineer extraordinaire. Production help from Elena Schwartz. Special thanks to Luke Serafin, Tara Reagan, Max Mills, and Nicholas Zuber. And I'm your host, Brandon Jenkins. Make sure you rate and review and subscribe for the next season where we'll be diving into another fantastic Netflix series.